0: I want to start this message by stating the obvious. We live in a broken and messed up world. Anybody, you see that? Now, that doesn't mean that things are as bad as they could possibly get. I mean, for many of us, we've got things that are going really, really well in our lives. We can look and we can see all that's come in our direction, all the blessings that we have. We've got a lot for which we can be thankful day in and day out. So it's not as bad as it could possibly be. There's a lot of beauty, a lot of blessings that we find in life. But for some of us, and for some of us who are here this very morning, that may not be our story. As we look around We may see blessings scattered here and there, but we also see kind of the rubble of our dreams, the ruins of our dreams. Things didn't turn out quite like we had planned. And you don't have to look far. If it's not going on in your life right now, it's probably going on next door. I mean, we hear it all the time, right? Somebody goes to the doctor and comes back with a a bad report. Or we turn on the television and we see riots and we see famine and we see all these these bad things that are going on, these natural disasters that are taking place. And it doesn't take us long to figure out something isn't quite right here. Something's off. Something's messed up. And if you're not there right now in your life, I don't want to be a, a downer here, but it's probably coming. It's probably right around the corner when you least expect it. Something is going to happen that absolutely knocks you off kilter, knocks you to your knees. Because that's the way life can be. And so today, we begin a new series of messages. From the book of Nehemiah. Now some of you are going, I didn't even know that was in there. It's an Old Testament book. It's, it's way back. It's filled with, with history, a rich history of God's people. It's a really powerful book that I encountered. I think for the first time it really hit me when I was back in college. I, I really began to see this book in a completely different light. And we've subtitled this, From Ruins to restoration because that's what we see now some of you who are familiar with the book of nehemiah you know that one of the things that is kind of central to that is the building of the walls around jerusalem but this book is about more than building or rebuilding broken walls this book really is about rebuilding broken lives rebuilding a broken community and therefore what we're going to find here is not just history so we can go away and go oh yeah that was pretty good but we're going to find truth that helps us especially in those times where the walls around our lives have come tumbling down everything seems to have gone wrong and there doesn't seem to be any hope or any help what do we do in those times my prayer is that this book of Nehemiah will help us as we encounter those times in our lives. Would you pray with me right now? Father God, we are grateful for... We're grateful, Lord, that you gave us this truth that, that speaks beyond the very time that it was written, the very time of these incidents, that you give us truth... That lives beyond this pages that actually moves right into our neighborhood, right into our own homes, right into our own lives. And Lord, I pray that as we begin this time in Nehemiah, that Lord, you will teach us. You will open our eyes, that you will open our ears, that you will open our hearts, that we might receive this message written so very, very, very long ago Lord, that you might continue to bring new light to your truth. Lord, I pray that by it we will be changed and we will be agents of change in this broken world. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen in a perfect world I would now begin to give you a history all the way from Abraham to Nehemiah we don't have that kind of time that's a long that's that's a lot of years and a lot of stuff that has happened so to fast track that you know that God called a people you know that that people ended up being kind of a nomadic people for a long long time until a famine in the land sent them to Egypt where they ended up in bondage in slavery and Moses had to deliver them bring them out of the land they became a wandering people there until God led through Moses and then through Joshua ultimately them to establish to take the land of Israel the holy land the, the promised land and they went in they took that land And after a period of judges, God began to raise up kings. Saul kind of messed up to begin with. David followed him. Solomon followed him. And then it all kind of went downhill from there. Kingdoms divided between northern and southern kingdom. Um, And what you see then is a lot of, you see some good stuff and some bad stuff. Until finally what happens is you've got the Assyrians coming in. And destroying the northern kingdom and scattering their people. And later the Babylonian army comes in, destroys Jerusalem. The walls of temple scatters their people. It's kind of where we find ourselves. But I want to give you a kind of a different view of of when you read the Old Testament, there's a, a cycle that takes place. And I've got a little slide up here just to kind of show you this. This is a cycle that you read throughout the New Testament. This is a cycle. It begins... It begins with everything going well, and then at the very top, the people, you see rebellion. Okay? What is rebellion? Rebellion is basically, hey, listen, God has said, go this way. This is the way I want you to live. These are the priorities I want you to have. And the people begin to say, nah, I don't think so. I want to do things my own way. I've got a better way. I've got a better plan. And they begin to rebel against God and His will. Now, God woos them. God calls him back he sends prophets he sends people to say hey listen it ought not be this way come back to the Lord come back to the Lord come back to the Lord but they don't pay much attention and eventually God has to bring judgment on them in other words what he said he was going to do if you disobey if you go this way if you rebel against me then this is going to happen eventually he brought it to pass and so after there is rebellion there comes judgment now, when judgment hurt bad enough, the people finally said, we can't take this anymore. We need to turn back to God, and there was repentance. They turned back to God, and, and sometimes it was in small pockets, sometimes it was nationwide, but they turned back to God, and then there would be restoration. God would, would bless them, He remove whatever the judgment was from them, and they would have a time of, of relative peace and prosperity but it didn't last very long (laughs) sometimes it didn't last with just a few years before they go right back to rebellion and so what you see in front of you is this cycle of rebellion judgment repentance and restoration but if i had a slinky i could give you a better picture and i don't have one and i didn't want to run to dollar general to pick one up because all they sell now is those little cheap plastic slinkies and they're not worth having the real slinkies are those metal slinkies that go down the steps so nicely and will slice you to ribbons if you're not careful. I understand why they made them plastic, but they're just not the same. Anyway, if you take a slinky and you hold it like this, you, you can see the circle. But if you turn it like this and then drop it, then it, 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 it's springy, so it goes down. And literally, if you could see the cycle of rebellion, judgment, Repentance and restoration, what you would see is this spiraling downward. They never quite made it back to where they were. They always seemed to, when they were restored, they were always a little lower than where they were. And it just keeps going down like this. So, this is what you see. And here's what's happened they have been exiled. The people of God from Jerusalem have been exiled. They were sent to Babylon, up to two. To three million potentially people were exiled. They were completely moved out of the land. Then, fast forward, Cyrus becomes a king of Persia. He makes a decree that they can go back to the land. And you would think that they would just go in mass, but only about 50,000 decided to return. Just a small group, a remnant decided to return because they knew life would be hard there they they went under a guy named Zerubbabel which really should be you need to think if you're planning on having kids that's not a great name just give them Zerubbabel that'll be awesome so they went under Zerubbabel later a guy a priest named Ezra came and helped to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem but the problem they had was that the walls of the city were still down the gates had still been burned there was no protection no safety no security no place they could go if armies came if bands of marauders came whatever it was they just had nowhere they could they could go to be safe and this is a period of about 150 years between the time the walls are torn down and the time that nehemiah will finally arrive in the city which we'll start to see next week 150 years the walls lay in ruins and that's where we are today and so nehemiah chapter one is where we're going to begin again i'm sorry that was about as quick as i could do the history right there uh but uh maybe at least gives you a little bit of of understanding of what's taking place so nehemiah chapter one and what we're going to do is we're going to kind of break this up but there's a lot here that we want to see and so let's take a look at this together Beginning reading and, well, Nehemiah, some of you are going, where in the world is that? First of all, the word's going to be up here on the screen. But if you've got your Bibles and you're looking, if you open your Bible up to about the middle, unless you've got a lot of notes, you're going to run into the Psalms, okay? That's about in the middle. And then go backwards. Okay, I'm serious. I mean, I'm just trying to give it to you the easiest way. One easier way, and you should never feel embarrassed about doing it, is to go to the table of contents. It's so conveniently located right there in the front of your Bible, it'll tell you exactly what page it is. So never feel embarrassed about doing that. You can't know where all these books are all the time. Some of you memorize songs, you kind of know the order, but nobody knows the page, I don't think. Anybody just automatically knew the page of Nehemiah in your Bible? So everybody had to look for it. I didn't because I've got one of these little ribbon things and I'd already put it there. But for the rest of you, you're having to look it up. Now, the good news is, if you've got a little ribbon thing, put it there, and next week, you'll be close to where you need to be. All right, Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's start with verse 1 and begin to move through this today. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekaliah. Now, It tells you who it is that is communicating this truth. Whether he wrote it down with his hand or had a scribe to write it down is irrelevant. But these are the words of Nehemiah. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel. All right, this is Persia, modern-day Iran. Susa was the capital city at that time. And Hanani, one of the brothers came with certain men from Judah. Now, we don't know if this was actually uh, Nehemiah's physical brother or whether he was a brother in the sense that he was part of his family or just part of the Jewish community. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. This makes perfect sense. If you've been away from a place for a while and someone comes to visit you, Or maybe you get a phone call. Then you want to know, how are things back home? I mean, it's simple. I mean, these, these are real people asking real questions. Hannah and I came. He meets with Nehemiah there in Susa, the capital city in Persia. And he basically says, listen, tell me how things are back home. Tell me how the people are. Tell me how the city is. We always hope to get good news, don't we? That's not what he got. Look here in verse 3. And they said to me, the remnant, that is those few who were able to go back, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Things aren't good back home. The people are in distress. The people are in trouble And the the walls that were torn down 150 years ago, they're still in ruins. The gates are still burned. Now, um, we live in a little bit different time. And our cities typically aren't surrounded by walls. But this was an absolute necessity in that time. It was an absolute necessity to have walls around the city to protect the inhabitants When invading armies would come, they could all go behind the city walls. There was food, there was water, there was protection there, there was an army there. So it made sense. They were, the people of Jerusalem, defenseless. They had no, they they didn't have a standing army, and now they didn't have walls around the city. And so they were just subject to whomever would pass through and wanted to do harm and wanted to cause trouble there. Verse four. And as soon as they heard these, and as soon as I heard these words, he said, "I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. When you read this, it literally means that these words, this report, floored Nehemiah. He said, "When I heard it, all I could do was sit down and cry." Um, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that if we have some really bad news to tell someone, we may begin by saying, hey, you may want to sit down for this. Because some of you have received some really bad news in your lives, and you realize at that point your knees can literally give way. Your body responds to such bad news in a way that you just lose your strength. And ne- Nehemiah, when he hears this report, He just sits down and he begins this process of grieving and mourning for days. He's in this situation. And then he does, listen, he does an incredibly smart, wise thing that you and I need to hear and learn from right now. When everything collapses around you, your best resource is to pray. Sometimes we use prayer as kind of the last resort, kind of the last thing we actually latch on to. But as soon as Nehemiah could get his wits about him, he began to pray. To pray and to fast. In other words, this this thing was was such a heavy burden on him that he refused to, to eat and simply prayed before the god of heaven now you don't really catch this um if you when we read throughout the entirety you'll get this but when the brothers came when when the report came to nehemiah it was the month of chislev now that didn't tell you much of anything in the hebrew calendar though it's going to be sometime in the November-December time frame. They, uh, they, the Hebrew calendars are a lot different than the, our calendar is based on the, the moon and things like that. So uh, it's going to be different. But, so think November-December is when the report came. And literally he did not take action, which we'll find out a little bit later. He didn't act on his prayers until the month of Nisan, which is in the March-April time frame. So doing quick math, he prayed. For four months. This grief was so heavy, this burden was so heavy that he prayed for four months. Now that did not mean he didn't get up and do other things during that period of time. But for four months, he was committed to praying for the people and praying for the city. And as we're going to discover, praying for what God wanted to happen. In other words, let me encourage you again, that when you pray, it's not just a gripe session before God. It's not, it, God wants you to come and pour out your pain and pour out your hurts and pour out your sorrows before. God wants you to do that, okay? God encourages you to do that. But as we pray, it's also an opportunity for God to speak back into our lives. Too often prayer for us is like a one-sided phone call. We're the only one talking. We don't stop to take time to listen to what God might say. And maybe it takes four months of you praying for God to speak. For Nehemiah, that's precisely what it took. So what we want to do from this point on, and we've got a few minutes here, what we want to do for the next few minutes is to look at Nehemiah's prayer because in this prayer, what we're going to discover are some truths that will help us as we pray when all around us is rubble and ruin. When the bottom drops out, when the bad news comes, how do we pray? Nehemiah gives us a wonderful example. So let's look at that together. First of all, with nehemiah and with us recognize the greatness of god when we pray in the midst of the ruin and the rubble of our lives recognize the greatness of god look at this O lord god of heaven the great and awesome god who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments you remember a few weeks ago we gave out the following Jesus journals and we talked about how you can pray using this Acts method of prayer. And that acts, meth, acts method of prayer begins with adoration. It begins with praising God for who he is. That's exactly how Nehemiah starts here. See, we didn't come up with this stuff. That's exactly how he starts here. He begins by recognizing the greatness, the might the awesomeness of God when we get bad news the one thing we need to understand is we have a good God even in the midst of bad news we have a God who cares for us a God who loves us a God who is faithful to keep his promises That's one of the reasons that you and I need to open God's Word and to read it and let it sink into our lives. Otherwise, we never know the promises of God. We never have that treasure trove from which we can pull out this truth to know I am not alone. How do I know I am not alone? Because Jesus said, I'll I'll be with you always to the very end of the age those times that we feel like we're complete and utter failures and we've just fallen flat on our face and God can't use us anymore. We can remember that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. All these truths that we can pull from, but if we don't have those great and precious promises tucked away inside us, it's hard for us to remember them. And so we need to open God's Word. We need to let it sink in. We need to know the God who is revealed in the pages of Scripture. Because when things seem hopeless, and when we look around, all we see are the ruins of our lives. The only way that we're going to begin to to adjust to this is for our perspective to change. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 73. I don't have time to read it right now. You can write that down on the notes on the back of your bulletin if you'd like. But Psalm 73, and in this Psalm, Asaph, is he's, he's moaning and groaning about the plight of the world and how messed, thing, messed up things are, that the, the righteous, they seem to be suffering, and the wicked, they seem to be prospering, and ought to not be this way. And, and he's just going on and on about this, and right in the middle of Psalm 73, right in the middle, he said, then I went into the house of, of the Lord and from that point on his entire perspective changed I had an encounter with God everything changed when you are in the midst of rubble and ruin in your own life remember you have a great and awesome God who cares for you and it can change your perspective it can give you the strength that you need to go on it did for Nehemiah it can happen for you The second truth that we draw out of here from Nehemiah's prayer is acknowledge the nature and the price of sin. Isn't this so cool? Because when we use that Acts method of prayer, the A was adoration. What was the C? Confession. He's reading our book. Nehemiah's following the same kind of pattern we're following. He acknowledges the greatness of God, but once you see a holy God, guess what? You begin to see your own Dirtiness, your own sin in your life. And so he then goes into a time of confession, acknowledging the nature and the price of sin. He says this in verse 6. I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Now, I want to pause right here because it's important for you to see this. He's talking about the sins of his people broader than himself he includes himself he says we have sinned he recognized something that too often in america in the church we don't recognize we are part of a community of faith we are we're not lone ranger christians we we are connected with one another intertwined with one another and we need to identify with one another this is precisely what he did he said my our our people have sinned and and hey i'm among them I'm not trying to set myself apart from the people and go, hey, well, listen, I'm better than they are. (laughs) They sure blew it. He's not doing that at all. And he goes on to say, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So often we make sin a small thing kind of irrelevant, something of very little consequence in life, didn't really have any, didn't, didn't really have any repercussions. We will even relabel sin. We'll, we'll make it sound less bad. It was, it was a mistake. It was, it was a failure. It was a, a slip-up, rather than calling it sin. We may dismiss sin as, as being no big deal. Hey, every, everybody's doing this. It's, it's really not a, not a problem. Or, here's what we do so often, and listen, I can tell you this because I'm guilty of it too. We begin to compare our lifestyle with somebody else. And then we look and go, hmm, I'm not as bad as they are. You know, compared to them, I measure up okay. My life's not as messed up. Jesus actually has a nice story about that. But anytime we do these things, we're, we're making sin a, a small thing. But at its heart, all sin, every sin, is rebellion against God and His will for us. At, at its heart, that's what sin is. And it's been that way ever since the Garden of Eden. It is rebellion. God has revealed Himself, His will, and His ways to us. And we said, nah. I'll do what I want to do. I'm going to do it my way. That's what sin is. And so here we see that he is acknowledging, he's acknowledging the sins of his people, he's acknowledging the sins of his household, he's even acknowledging his own sin. He wasn't offering excuses. He said, listen, I'm, I'm among them. I'm a sinner too, I've done this. One of the reasons we're in the mess we are in is because of the sins we have committed. And he didn't offer any excuses. He didn't offer any denial. He just said, I'm guilty too. Sometimes we don't want to do that. But it is so necessary if we want to move forward to be able to uncover our sin. Uh, on Thursday nights, we have Celebrate Recovery who, that meets here and. And then we have some small groups that come out of this, some, some step studies that come out of this. And, and one of the things that, that they do in this process is a real brutal self-assessment. They take time to analyze, to look into their lives and say, listen, um, all this rubble and ruin, I, I, I'm part of creating this. What is it that I need to confess What is it that I need to attempt to make right? It's a brutal self-assessment. Most of us, we want to run the other way when that time comes. When God turns on the light and begins to shine into our lives, we want to run like the roaches in the kitchen. We want to run and hide. We want to find the darkness. God, please don't shine your light on me. But that time of self-assessment can also be a time of incredible growth if we're willing to confess it, to turn from it, and begin to live in line with God's will for our lives. The third truth that we have here from Nehemiah's prayer, because he didn't just remain wallowing in his guilt. He didn't just throw in the towel and say, oh man, things are so bad. Nehemiah remembered the promises of God. He remembered the promises of God. Look at verse 8 and following. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand nia says god remember your covenant now why is he doing this he's not doing this because god is forgetful god didn't have a senior moment now the bible tells us there's only one thing that god forgets anybody know what that is our sins yeah In Hebrews chapter 8, he says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Now, that's not because God is forgetful. It's because God chooses to forget. God chooses to forget our sin, and oh, am I so grateful for that. Now, what's happening here? It's kind of what happens when, when you get together with old friends Now, some of you are older than than I am, some of you are younger than I am, but it doesn't really matter because even even when I was younger, I I would do this. When I got together with friends from my past, we would uh, say, hey, do you remember the time when? You, You ever say that? You remember the time when? It may have been something in high school, it may have been something early in your marriage, it may have been something in your first church, it may have been some time that you were in the military, it could have been anything. Hey, do you remember the time when? What is that? Are you saying to the other person, hey, listen, I don't think you remember this. No, you're inviting them to remember with you. And as Nehemiah is is praying before God, he says, remember your covenant. He wasn't saying, hey, God, I don't trust you to fulfill it. He was saying, hey, listen, I'm remembering this. We're remembering this together. And God, I believe that you are faithful to redeem your people and once again let me add this to you if you don't know God's promises for your life if you're not opening God's word and letting that speak to you then you're going to have a hard time praying like this well listen there's one other thing and we want to get to it very very quickly because I it's important for us and that is we need to respond in faith verse 11 O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, this man being the king. After four months of grieving, after four months of praying, Nehemiah was convinced that he was part of the answer to his prayer. He was convinced he was part of the answer to his own prayer. Some of you have been very, very faithful in praying about something, a situation, or about someone. Maybe you've got a lost family member. And you've been very, very faithful in praying for that lost family member. Maybe you've got a lost friend. and You've been very, very faithful in praying for that lost friend. Maybe there's someone who's been sick for a long time, and you've been faithful in praying for them. Or maybe it's someone who had to go to a nursing home or retirement home and they're lonely and you've been faithful for praying for them. Maybe you've been praying for an injustice that takes place in our world. Maybe, you know, sex trafficking or abortion or one of those, one of those large issues that affects the lives of so many people around the world. And it's injustice, God's a burden God's placed in your heart. You've been praying about that over and over almost every day. Maybe it's that you've been praying for the gospel to to go to a, a certain group of people or, or maybe it's for the gospel to go to someone in your own community in your own neighborhood and you've been faithful in praying for these things it's a burden God has put on your heart that you really can't escape I just want to toss something out to you this morning I want you to consider something this morning could it be the reason you can't escape this burden is because God is calling you to be part of the answer to his prayer You've been praying for it. Maybe God has laid it on your heart for a reason because he wants you to be part of the answer. Maybe that person, maybe that person that you've been praying would come to know Jesus, maybe God's laying it on your heart because he wants you to share your faith with that family member, with that friend, with that old classmate, whomever it might be. Maybe if God's laid a burden on your heart for someone who's sick or lonely, maybe God is calling you to be that person who shows up and visits and encourages and prays for that person. If there's a, an injustice that just won't leave you alone, you can't quit praying for it, maybe God is calling you to be part of the answer, to, to engage in the light, in that ministry, to, to give to that ministry, to support that ministry, to be active in that ministry. Maybe if God has laid a burden on your heart to pray for a group of people who may be in the next county or around the world this gets scary doesn't it maybe god's calling you to do missions that doesn't mean you're going over there forever it may just mean that you're there for a week or two weeks but you're act- actively serving or giving in other words maybe you are part of god's answer to your own prayer it was true in Nehemiah's case he was so hurt over the plight of his people and the shame of the city that he wanted to do something and what we'll see next week is exactly what he did there's one little straggler in chapter one that I didn't mention the very end of that, one little sentence says, now I was cupbearer to the king. This is like when you finish an episode on television and they give you previews. This is the preview. But what I do want you to know is, Nehemiah had this burden, but he also had an opportunity. God had him in just the right place at just the right time with just the right burden and that's what we're going to see next week but for some of you you're here today and you go okay well that, that all sounds well and good what, what do we do with this what do I need to take away when I walk away I want to walk away with the same confidence that Nehemiah had when he finally got up from his prayers. When your heart is beating in rhythm with the heart of God, when you're convinced what God's will is in your life, when doing nothing is no longer an option. We ask God to guide us and to show us mercy as we take our next step. So what is your next step? That's where we are this morning. Where, what is that next step for you? For some of you, it is, hey, there's somebody I need to share my faith with. For some of you, it is someone, someone I need to go and serve. For some of you, that may be, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a ministry. I need to get connected. I need to get involved in that ministry. For some of you, it is, God, okay, I hear you. I'm willing to go and to do what you're calling me to do. But for some of you, that's a, your next step is actually the first step. You've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You wonder why your life is in rubble and ruins, why nothing ever seems to, to grow. Perhaps it's because you haven't taken the first step to follow Jesus. Jesus. If you're willing today, if God's just burdened your heart, if you know that you are separated from God, but you also know that that God has sent a son, his son Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins, if you know that today, and you are no longer content to sit by and just let it ride, as the rains fall on the roof of this building, I pray the Holy Spirit will fall in this place. If you need Jesus, there is no better time than right now to receive Him as Savior and Lord. If you need a church family and God is calling you to be part here, connected here, there's no better time than to take that that next step and say, okay, God, I want to invest myself in the life of this church. For some of you, that next step may be that confession step. You may be coming in here today and God has turned the spotlight on in your life and what you need more than anything else is to come and to lay the burden down. And I want to let you know these steps are open almost every week. There are people who come, who come with a burden and they come to lay it down. And if that's you today, then I want you to know it's a good day to do that too. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us, you call us, you use us, You never leave us. You never forsake us. Lord, today I pray for those who are wrestling with decisions, who are wrestling with that next step in their lives. I pray, Lord, instead of wrestling, they would simply surrender to whatever it is that you're calling them to do. To come and find life in Christ, to come and find life in this body of Christ called Grace Fellowship, to come and commit what it is that you're calling them to do or simply to come and lay down that burden of sin and guilt knowing that if we'll confess our sins that you God are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us of all unrighteousness this is our prayer in Jesus name we come just as we are Amen